Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are all the tre- hidden, uh, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, uh, if you're familiar with uh, this time period and uh, what the church is dealing with, uh, a, a strong influence that affects the church uh, profoundly at this point are the Gnostics, and um, the the Gnostic teaching is focused around the idea of having special or supernatural knowledge that's their sort of lying selling point they they uh, act like they have you know secrets and mysteries and things that they can impart to you and uh, mostly it's you know for a price you you know you give to them you support them you become part of them and you basically buy your way into the knowledge and uh, it's it's a lot like you know people get upset with me when I say this, but it's a lot like the Masons, you know the, you know the, they have that whole thing about you know Sophia and the wit, goddess of wisdom and and the, the you know the enlightenment that you can receive, and uh, you know ultimately those that have come out of uh, Masonry that are honest will tell you that when they get to those final stages that they they learn that the God that they have been worshiping, that's been giving them, uh, you know, a lot of business opportunities and a lot of business connections, the knowledge of who to do business with and, and all these different things, uh, is a, a God they refer to as Abaddon. And, uh, you know, that's their own teaching. Uh, it's not, it's not something that Christians say about the Masons. It's something that once you get into those final stages, the Masons themselves will tell you that is in fact, uh, you know what they are involved in, which is weird because they, you know, many of them consider themselves Christians. They're not. I've got to clarify that Masonry is not Christian. How about that? Uh, you know, the Masonic Temple is not Christian, is, is what I mean by that. And in the end, uh, you know, it, it, when we're seeing the Book of Revelation open and those mysteries are being revealed, hence the name of the book, Revelation. You know, God's revealing of his wisdom, his plan, his knowledge. Uh, Hell itself opens up, and these horrible creatures emerge from hell to attack uh, the human race. And the demonic host that leads them, his name is Abaddon. So, you know, consider who you want to follow uh, in that whole uh, process of analyzing things. I, I choose Jesus Christ. You know, personally. Uh, but uh, this sort of thing is, uh, you know, right here in the beginning of the church. That, that there are influences that attack the church and try to bring their heresies, their false teachings into the church and subvert uh, the pure, simple teaching of Jesus Christ's gospel. And uh, Paul is contending with it. John is contending with it. Uh, Peter contends with it. Uh, most of those that write uh, the epistles address at, at least in form things that were being taught by the Gnostics, which were poisoning uh, the, ch- the Christian church at the time. The two elements that are discussed right here in these chapters, 
Paul addresses the Gnostics and then the Judaizers. And it's so interesting to me that the ones that come with false teachings, the heretics, always go after the church. It's rare, it's incredibly rare that you see them out evangelizing the unsaved. They're, they're, not, they're, they're concerned with the new, the young, and the weak in the faith. In the faith, right? So they're just thieves. They're, they're, they're not actually there concerned for the cause and, and for redeeming souls and saving them from hell. They're there to steal people's minds away from the truth. And, you know, who would want to do that other than Satan himself, Lucifer himself, uh, to get in the church and to poison and adulterate and uh, to sidetrack people from the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. So this knowledge that's being spoken of here is two-part. Uh, one, it's the idea of salvation. And the second part is that it was hidden from the understanding of the Jews that the Gentiles would be saved. So there was a mystery hidden from the faithful up until uh, Acts chapter 10, where Peter went to the house of Cornelius, delivered the gospel, and the Gentiles were converted into the faith. And the Jews were like, oh, wait a second, that's a mystery. We didn't see that one coming at all. And then as they searched back through all of the Old Testament, and particularly the teachings of the prophets, then they began to see that he was going to be salvation to the Gentiles also. So, uh, you know, this knowledge, this mystery spoken of here, uh, it isn't some hidden thing that you got to join a particular sect of Christianity who has a particularly, you know, interesting, weird leader who their church has a particular, you know, a, a very strange name or some, you know, weird practices and they wear strange clothes and, you know, they, they're weird. You don't have to do that. It's simply saying that uh, the salvation of Jesus Christ uh, through the sacrifice, because right, what were they looking for? The Judaizers were looking for someone like Moses or someone like David to come as a conquering hero. So humble servant arrives on the scene. Well, that was a mystery. They didn't see that coming. And then, as I said, now the Gentiles are being welcomed into the faith. Wait a second. You know, how does this fit into the scripture? They're discovering it. So Paul here is reassuring the church at Colossae that, no, no, you are saved. And that's, that's very uh, important for us to think. Attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, verse 2 says, the full assurance. Many of us uh, you know, came up in different branches of Christendom that uh, we weren't assured of our salvation. We thought maybe it was possible. We hoped that it was possible. You know, we, uh, you know, tried to behave in certain ways, tried to earn our way and tried to work our way into salvation, not realizing that, you know, part of the mystery was <clears throat> free gift. You know, grace of God, mercy <clears throat> was how salvation was going to be acquired. John tells us, that you can know that you have eternal life. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. Why? Because it's based upon Jesus Christ's capability, not yours. Okay? There's a lot we do as believers in response 
to the salvation and the gracious gift that we've been given. And it is responsive. It is not productive in the sense of salvation. Jesus Christ's work was productive. It produced salvation for us. Ours is reactive, right? He, he is the initiator. We are the responder to this salvation that has been granted. Verse 4, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. You might want to underline that, persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. Now don't think of that as some hollow promise. We'll talk more. Rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Uh, there were people that were coming and using all of these clever phrases and these big words and these intimidating you know, uh, speeches that left them all feeling stupid. You know, here, these people are brilliant orators. These people are educated elite. These people use, you know, big phrases and big words. And I'm a simpleton. So surely they're better than me. I want to be like them. So they get pulled over by intimidation. And Paul is saying, that's not our method. <laughs> that's not the gospel. You know, we don't come and use all the medical terminology and all of the, you know, scientific and sociological and, you know, psychological and, you know, astronomical words <laughs> that we can pile together in order to make you feel like our education is somehow the thing that should convince you that you should be saved. I have to be careful of that because I like that sort of stuff and those subjects. And I know a lot of people who, uh, you know, a lot of people, like I've got a massive following. You know, I know that uh, the, a number of people who uh, listen to uh, my sermons are intrigued with that stuff. And I'll just say straight out again, you're going to worship one of four things. And again, this isn't my information. You know, Chuck Smith taught this when I, you know, he taught it years before I listened to it. And I heard it as a teenager where he was saying, you're going to worship one of four things. You're going to worship Jesus Christ as you were created to, or you're going to worship money slash power, or you're going to worship the intellect, or you're going to worship pleasure. And that's it. You're going to worship one of those four things. You can break them down into subcategories, but that's the simplicity of it. You know, I spend a lot of time uh, pursuing pleasure in drugs and alcohol and sinful behavior, adrenaline junkie, things of those nature um, but also you know i have that propensity to allow persuasive words to be intimidating and influence me and uh you know so i like to study things of the intellect and in the end uh, we can get so caught up in the intimidation and the intellect and the education and the degrees that we lose sight of the fact that it was the simplicity of you are a filthy, rotten sinner that was going to hell, who Jesus Christ came and died in your place so that he would take your death and you could have his life. It's as simple as that. There's no big intellect. There's no discussion about the universe and the stars and creation versus evolution and science and, you know, in that process. You, you were going to die and spend an eternity separated from God. And Jesus didn't want that to happen. So he rescued you. 
simple. It's really simple. And that's where you need to keep your focus, right? Because if the intellect can be the thing that brings you in, it can also be the thing that stumbles you out. You need to make sure that you're worshiping Jesus Christ in simplicity and in truth. Verse 6, as you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. He's referring to that simplicity, right? Not, this, not the persuasive words. You know, we, we've seen you guys, are, are, you're sincerely won over. We, you know, Paul's never been to the church of Colossae. He just heard of their steadfastness, their, their hardened faith, their strong commitment to Jesus Christ. And he's saying, you know, you did that because of the simplicity of the message that was delivered to you. And that's what you need to hold to. Don't get sidetracked by these things. You know, you receive, therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. You know, be filled, you know, abounding, you know, like overflowing you know, with thanksgiving that your, your life would be, I just picked my wife up a, a big bag of, uh, the, uh, freshly picked apples, you know, they're starting to come into the stores. And, uh, you know, I looked for the one that was like, I knew as soon as I picked up, like apples are going to fall off that bag, you know, say so, it's sure enough. I'm catching stuff and putting it in the thing and paying by the weight anyway, but I bring her this brimming abounding, you know, bag of apples freshly picked yesterday. That's our lives. These Christians, Paul is saying, continue in the simplicity. You don't have to get sidetracked, pulled away, stumbled by the persuasive arguments and words. He's going to dwell on that a little more, that you would abound in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So there's... Big danger in that today. A lot of people getting caught up in philosophy. A lot of people in Christianity, you know, more, more interested in the philosophers. And they're following after the teachings of the philosophers and looking into. And they're, they're outright rejecting tenets of Christianity because they're looking at certain, you know, communistic left wing, you know, completely ungodly. But, oh, you know, they were so eloquent. Who gives a hoot? You know, their, 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 their philosophy doesn't line up with Jesus Christ. You, you need a philosopher? You know, there were a few. I can name two that you can hold to, and you'll get everything you need from philosophy, the full understanding of its beginnings, origins, development, you know, and conclusions. Uh, you know, how about C.S. Lewis, right? You know, there's, there's one. How about Francis Schaeffer, Right? You know, you need, you need to be a philosopher, need an influenced philosopher. You just concentrate on those two. You'll learn the others in the process, and you'll be grounded in the truth. Grounded in the truth. Bragging, but uh, relative of uh, Francis Schaeffer came here a couple of years ago. And, you know, tells me that. In conversation after the sermon, you know, and then you you die inside, you know, because you just you preach the sermon, and uh, we've corresponded a couple of times by email, and he he just said it was so refreshing to be in a place that wasn't caught up in all that garbage that just wanted to teach God's word 
very simply so everyone could understand it. And I thought, yeah, so, you know, I just, <laughs> like I, I actually did what I was supposed to that day. I didn't get caught up in any of the other stuff and sidetrack into things. It just, you know, that we were as a congregation looking at God's word simply. And, uh, you know, he sh shared his struggles and hopes and dreams and, and uh, what the Lord's doing in their lives. Not that we're close friends. I'm not implying that. Just we've corresponded a couple of times. And philosophy is not where it's at. I mean, they, they overlap, right? Our faith and philosophy, sure. But truth in Jesus Christ. Philosophy has concluded there is no truth. You know, that's, that's the existentialism of today. That's the postmodernism of, you know, my poor wife going to college. <laughs> Here she is as an adult and, and just listening to all the mindless drivel uh, of all of these professors. What's really unfortunate is, you know, in many of the classes, she's the oldest person there. But anyway, um, you know, that's I'll take it on the chin for that one um but you know all these young people coming straight out of high school into college they're just sucking up she's the only one that's saying wait wait a minute <laughs> that doesn't add up why you know she's the only one that's showing any contradiction to what's being just spoon-fed philosophy empty to see according to the traditions of men according to the basic principles of the world not according to christ for in him dwell all the fullness of the godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision uh, made without hands by putting off the body of uh, the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you and that that now he's uh, shifting the discussion over to Judaism a little bit right go, so go from the the uh, Gnostic philosophies and the pursuit of mystery and wisdom and knowledge over to the handwriting and the law you know the the things that were recorded against you so he's gonna you know sort of spin these two, uh, elements together in a strong way having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them you know the public spectacle of their most powerful work satan's most powerful work is death sin produces death you know, what are the two inevitables? Death and taxes, right? And, uh, you know, so, you know, we know that uh, in the end you are going to die. Ten out of ten people do. Statistics are still alarmingly high. And, uh, you know, coronavirus has not changed that. War doesn't change it. Right? Accidents and disease don't change it. 
That's something to think about. 100% of us die. And the Lord says that it's appointed unto man once to die. You, know, you have a specific one time. Oh, well, my uncle died and he came back. No, that wasn't his time. His time is ahead. And he's going to die. She's going to die. They're going to die. We're going to die. Christ died and was resurrected. It was literally, you know, Hollywood movie-esque, you know, stand up three days later and act like, is that all you got? He made a spectacle of them. He embarrassed them. They threw everything they had at him and he brushed it off for our sake to prove that we are grafted into that. Our, our whole process of being grafted is baptism. We experience baptism as a symbol of that resurrection. You know, the, the question comes up, you know, uh, you know, why that symbol? We could have we developed as Christianity, you know, a, a symbol of burying people ceremonially, right? Big sandbox, you know, cover them with sand, raise them back up. Be weird, right? Kind of weird to put people underwater, standing back up. But here's the thing. We're cleansed in Christ. We're freed from the filth of the earth. We're delivered into a newness, washed by him, washed by his death into the newness of life. Now, Paul makes a great explanation of that in Romans chapter 6, of how we were buried with Christ, resurrected into a newness of life, just as he was resurrected into a newness of life. His newness of life, he had a whole new function. He had a whole new way of living. He was not limited by time and space as he had previously limited himself. He demonstrated he had power over time and space. You know, stand up in the storm and just say, peace be still. And not only is the storm gone, they're suddenly where they belong. You, know, you, you have certain things where he would demonstrate that. But once he was resurrected, he showed no restriction. He moved at will wherever he wished and conducted himself in whatever manner he wished, unfettered by creation. He showed complete command and control over creation. Creation binds us in sin. And the law condemns us under it. Delivered from that. We function in a new way. You know, I just having a Bible study with a group of guys last night, and I've shared this many times before. I'm very repetitious, but had an occasion where I found a whole bunch of marijuana, and uh, I scooped it all up, and you know, put a dustpan and threw it in a toilet and flushed it away, and as it swirled out of sight. It was not an audible voice, but there was definitely a voice in my heart and in my mind that said, hey, uh, did you notice that you didn't have any desire to use or keep any of that? I was blown away. No one knew I, I, ha I had found all this. And I just got rid of it without any hesitance, just... I was floating on cloud nine for days from that experience, realizing I have that, you know, there was a time where through strict obedience, I had, you know, set 
certain parameters in my life where I wasn't going to be around that stuff and I shunned it and just, you know, obeyed what Christ was doing in my life as he was delivering me. But then, you know, to come to the moment where I realized, like, it has no power over me. I have been delivered from this junk. And many of you have had similar experiences in other places where things that controlled you, you found yourself delivered from. Oh, the battles come back around every now and then, right? But then we have to walk in that assurance and those moments and that strength and what Christ has done in our lives and recognize why why am I weak right now? <laughs> you know, what is it that's caused me to bring, you know, myself to this point again and get yourself realigned in the newness of the life that Christ has given us. We've been delivered you know, buried with him in baptism. The circumcision, you know, talking to the Jews who are influencing these Christians, you know, this circumcision is of the flesh. This is a thing of the heart. He's making sure these, you know, Gentile Christians at Colossae don't get caught up in those teachings of the Gnostics. Don't get caught up in the circumcision of the Jews. Love them, worship with them, but going back to the law isn't going to provide you with anything. You've been delivered from that by christ's fulfillment at the cross right those yeah you know you're uncircumcised oh well we could look in the law and discovered how you in the handwriting of the requirements are guilty (laughs) and paul is saying nope not happening not guilty why christ nailed that to the cross he finished that we're not going to be concerned about that oh you go to church on sunday not saturday no christ nailed that to the cross you know, he was resurrected on Sunday morning, and the church gathers on Sunday morning. And Paul says, when you come together on the first day of the week and take up your collections to give to the suffering church at Jerusalem. The church is of the new day, the eighth day, right? The, the continuation of God's creation. We're no longer dead in the trespasses and the sins. We've made a spectacle in Christ with those things. Uh, 2.6, so let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, in false humility, worship of angels, Listen, you go, what's an angel? Worship of angels. Worship of saints? Maybe that would help you understand it a little better. Worship of Mary. Right? Don't let anybody, you know, shame you. Don't let anyone cheat you of your reward by causing you to get caught up in these things through false humility. Right? They seem very pious, don't they? Of Oh, I wouldn't dare come to... Jesus' throne, I'm not worthy of that. So I, I go to St. Peter because, you know, he was a human and he can identify with my condition more. And, you know, the things he suffered with as a working man, I, I identify with. So, so I go to, you know, St. James or St. Peter or Mary, you know, who is, you know, sometimes has mothers Mothers identify with the motherly figure. So, you know, I go to I go to the mother of Jesus and they take my request to 
Jesus, who then takes it to the Father, who, listen, Jesus himself said he abolished those things. He did away with those things. He tore the veil from the top to the bottom to open the place into the most holy place. Only one was allowed to go behind that veil once a year. And he removed that barrier, giving all of humanity free access to the holy of holies. If you have planned something for thousands of years, gone through completely humiliating yourself, to come to the point where you are put to death to give a person access to anything. And then somebody comes along and starts building a wall to keep that person from getting the free access. To How offended would you be? You've spent thousands of years and it cost you your life for the sole purpose of free access to. And now here's some other knucklehead who's decided they know better than you did in making the plan. And they're barring people from the free access. Jesus says he's offended by that in the book of Revelation. Right? He hates the deed of the Nicolaitans. Those that form a priesthood, Nicol, the ruling class, over the underclass, laity, Nicol, laity. I hate the deeds, the system of Nicolaity. Priests over lay people. Jesus Christ removed that for free access. Don't let anyone cheat you of your reward. What reward? The reward Christ earned. Right? You didn't earn it. It wasn't like, oh, good job, here's your paycheck. Right? Paul says that specifically. That, that if it was by works, then it would be a wage owed to you. And it's not. You didn't earn it. It's a free gift that's been given to you. A reward. Right? I've heard an illustration years ago about that term, more than a conqueror. You know, us being more than conquerors. And uh, the pastor who gave the illustration gave great details to George Foreman and his capabilities as a boxer. Conqueror. Amazing. Destructive. Deadly man. Incredible guy. When George comes home and just hands his wife the paycheck from... Having been in the ring, mortal combat, <laughs> she's more than a conqueror. Because she's conquered George's heart. And she has free access to the reward. Now, now, what if somebody wants to get between Mrs. Foreman and Mr. Foreman? Right? You can guarantee both parties are going to be offended. Right? George has done the work and provided for his family. Christ has done the work and provided for us, given us this free access. And it's a terrible thing. And this is what Paul is warning the church. You be very cautious. Do not let anyone cheat you 
of the reward, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Paul is telling us what is going on in the heart of the people who do this sort of thing to the body of Christ. Who criticize you because of what version of the Bible you read, criticize you because of what day of church you go to church on, criticize you because of, you know, the bacon that you eat. You know, they, they've got all kinds of things that in their mind makes them closer to God. And they try to put restrictions upon you as though if you followed these things, you too would be closer to God. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Christ loves you because he loves you. And then he says they're not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourishing it together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. They're not connected to the head, which is Jesus Christ. You know, headless people. That's a frightening thought. People in the church, just, if you could look around, see headless corpses next to you, just be really weird. Think about that the next time somebody's trying to lay their trip on you about what version of the Bible you're using and what day of the week you go to church and you know, whether you eat certain foods to be close to God or, you know, just imagine them for a moment as a headless person and whether you would give give them or would you throw your hands up in the air and run away screaming, you know, <laughs> knowing, right? And would you warn everyone else to stay away? Stay away from that one. They're not attached to, holding fast to the head, which is Christ. And that's where all growth and maturity comes from. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, if you were buried in the, the waters of baptism and you have professed this newness of life, then that applies to you, right? If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? And you would want to say these regulations, right? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commands and doctrines of men. Notice that? The commands and doctrines of men. Not God, right? Not the scripture, not the Holy Spirit. All of these rules and things that they put in place, this is all doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance, you might want to put an underline under that, an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed, there's another one to underline, self-imposed religion, false humility. Now the false has been added, but it is implied within context. It's not a real humility, a false humility, and the neglect of the body, but are not, excuse me, of no value against the indulgence of self-flesh. They're not going to help you overcome the flesh at all. You know, start with circumcision in this discussion. He's saying, you know, oh, that's where they're all hung up with, of, you know, dealing with the things of the flesh. And in the end, none of this stuff does anything about the appetites of the flesh. It's not going to help you at all. You know, I, 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 I would love to know what Jesus wrote in the sand. They drag that poor woman out into the street caught in the act of adultery, 
I can't imagine a more embarrassing thing. Ripped out of the bed, naked, thrown into the street with a death sentence over her head. Imagine the fear involved, the terror involved with this is it. I am going to die right here. And Jesus makes that statement. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. There's a contextual implication. It's not in the language, but there's a contextual implication of let him who is without this sin cast the first stone. And then he starts writing in the sand. He kneels down and with his finger he starts writing in the sand. Total speculation on my part, right? But I would love to know what was written in the sand. Given the context of adultery and they want to stone her to death, is Jesus, right? Because it says, then from the oldest to the youngest, they drop their stones and they leave, right? Is Jesus kneeling down and he's he's writing a young woman's name from decades ago that the oldest man present with a stone in his hand, only he will recognize that name. Is that what's going on? He's just writing in the sand. Whatever it is, Whatever it is. I mean, we can imagine that, right? You know, in our self-righteous indignation, our vehement cries for justice. and Then suddenly he looks you right in the face and just has to say one name to you. And you shrink right up small. Just die inside and drop your rock. And you got other places you got to be right now. You know what I'm saying? And if you don't, if you don't, if you're prideful enough, right, because that one name, the first name maybe, that would pierce a hole in your heart. Okay, it's pierced a hole in your heart, but you're stubborn and you're prideful and you're sinful and you're going to stand right there. Does he write the second name that would cut a hole in your heart? And you're going to stand there and res- whatever it is, well, listen, whatever was written in that sand had to be so overwhelming that the men of the highest integrity in that group were suddenly unable to stay. These practices that everyone conducts themselves in, you know, what is it that's brought us to salvation? It is God's grace. It's his grace. And that's it. His mercy produced grace in our lives. And that's how we made it across the threshold. And we can dwell and live in the assurance of that. The assurance of that gracious forgiveness. And none of these practices bring us closer to God. Oh, you know, I I only, you know... I only honor Resurrection Sunday. I, I I can't even refer to it as Easter because you know I can't I can't this I I have this but I don't we don't have a Christmas tree in our house because you know that comes from you know Babylon and you know people get really weird 
about what they feel like this makes them more holy and closer to God. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You know, you don't want to have a Christmas tree in your house because you have a specific relationship with God. Awesome. Do or don't, right? It's not going to make you any closer to God, more acceptable to God. What makes you acceptable to God one more time is God. <laughs> that's what makes you acceptable. And that's all that makes you acceptable. You know, like I say, you, you, you don't want to do certain things because of your relationship with God, then don't do them. You know, as he says, let every man be, you know, completely convinced of these things. They have, right, an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. They don't, they don't they don't help you be any better. Colossians 3 verse 1, if then you were raised in Christ, seek those things which are above, which uh, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things in the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Ten thousands of his saints, right? Following. I, <clears throat> it's clearly, to me, one of those indications of pre-tribulation rapture it's 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 an odd thought that we would you know be caught up into the clouds to then just come right back with him and you know be part of the army but you know anyway it's it's uh, you know a confirmation of what the scripture says jude tells us that uh enoch uh prophesied about the Lord's return and his coming on the horses with ten thousands of his saints which you know is Sideline discussion about whether there are animals in heaven or not. So there's at least some horses. There's at least one horse that, you know, Jesus Christ is riding. So I don't know. Thoughts to think about there. There's a reason behind all of creation and what he's done there within the situation. I find it interesting that, you know, Lucifer took on the form of a, a, a serpent, which could have actually been a dragon uh, based upon the way it's described in the book of Genesis. But, um, you know, serpent-like creature with legs who then had the legs removed and had to live as a serpent the remainder of its days. Uh, and when it spoke to her, she was not astonished. She carried on a conversation. And then you have Balaam who is rebelling against God and the donkey is just trying to avoid the suicide mission that Balaam seems to be on because the angel is going to kill them. And when the donkey has veered off course and crushed his foot and they're now suffering the consequences of that, he gets in an argument with the donkey who's basically saying, hey, have I ever done anything like this in the past? And, you know, Balaam is saying no uh, but never says, uh, and neither have you ever, you know, spoken before either. So um, it'll be interesting to see uh, what's capable of speech. You know, if they if they can talk, there's another thought. I get really abstract at times. You guys know that, right? If they can talk, 
I wonder who he might call as witness against us. I'm going further than the animal kingdom because, you know, he's telling us that the rocks and the trees will cry out. So um, where is history recorded? Right. You know, your brother Abel's blood cries out to me from the ground. So there's, you know, sideline issues to consider here. Uh, in this process, we are told, you know, that we should set our th minds on the things above. Why? You know, I, I wandered off in all of that discussion to just take your mind into unearthly things. We get so caught up. Yeah, you guys reading any of this stuff about cell phone addiction now? Just <clears throat> people on average can't function in a day without touching their phone at least every five seconds. There's a generation behind us. <clears throat> My mother-in-law, uh, she retired last year, but she uh, worked for a big company doing labeling. Jackson Lab has a lot of the labels that her company produced. Um, she she's in charge of marketing. Did just like huge job. She like shut her cell phone off and put it away. You know, and like when she wanted to talk to somebody, would like take it out and turn it on. Right. Because, you know, and I asked her about that because like everybody I know that's in business is like constant, you know, cell phones, and emails and text messages. And, you know, she she's a she's of the business world, the higher end of the business world. That was the generation before that, like you work, 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 work. And then, you know, at lunch, like you check all your correspondence and listen to your messages and sit right down and answer, you know, call people back and do, but then you, you like hang that up and then you go back to work. Right. And that's how she functioned, you know, right up until the end without like, you know, constantly having that thing and like did really well at her job. We, you know, we are living in a generation that is like so absorbed with this world and the things of this world and constantly you can't, you know, I mean, when, when, how about this? This will date you. Remember blackberries, right? Okay. You know, huh? It, like you just realized, wow, I had forgotten about blackberries, right? The original smartphone, New York city, and in particular London, England, which had a much greater wave of usage uh, because of how well it was marketed there, they padded all of the signposts and light posts and lamps uh, in the downtown London district because of so many head injuries. No, no exaggeration. People read in their crackberry and walk right into wang, you know, just uh, so, it, you know, th there, there is a, uh, that's not my word. I, I just stole that from somebody else, crackberry. Um, you know, the, uh, there is a world around us that they can't even pick their eyes up from this to look around at this, let alone look up to that. Pick your eyes up. Look beyond. You know, read the scripture. Let your imagination, 
You know, that's one of the things that I have a hard time with with reading the book of Revelation is I'll start reading and my mind just goes way into the presence of God and like you lose touch with the page. You know what I'm saying? You have, you have the, the revelation has stolen your mind and you have to come back to the reading and, and gain your traction again. And it draws you one more time into the presence of God and into the presence of God and into the presence of God. Paul is encouraging these believers, get your minds off the things of this world and look to the throne of Christ. You know, we have the beauty. So go right to go home and, and open your Bible up to Revelation chapter five and, and look into the throne room again. Remarkable, amazing thing that is recorded for us there. You know, we get to see into the presence of the Lord in this way. Wonderful, wonderful thing that we get to look to. Not the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Listen, all of those things are idolatry. That's what he's saying. He's not, he's not just listing covetousness. He's saying if you are caught in these things, you know, be it uh, sexual sin, you know, passions, just, you know, so many people that are impassioned about earthly things, whatever that might be, business, you know, uh, you know, the adrenaline junkies who are all impassioned about, you know, base jumping or, you know, motorcycle riding or, you know, you know whatever extreme sport thing is their passion. Evil desires. That's, that's very broad, and he wants it to be that way, not so specific. Just the evil desires that we are caught up in. They're idolatry. Yeah, I said it earlier in this sermon. Jesus, right? Money and power. The intellect or pleasure, whatever thing possesses your heart. Oh, old pastor years ago was just saying, whatever your master passion is, that is your God. If that's Jesus Christ, that's your God. Whatever master passion you have, which dominates your life. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. I love that, that he specifically says the sons of disobedience. Not upon all of us. He clarifies who the wrath is coming upon. Not upon us. It's coming upon the sons of disobedience. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So he even further clarifies the fact that you ain't one anymore. Used to be. Not no more. You're not a son of disobedience. Daughter of disobedience. You've been delivered from those things. You say, I was terribly disobedient yesterday. Yeah, okay. You were terribly disobedient today, maybe. All right. You hated it, didn't you? You regret it, don't you? You asked to be freed from it, didn't you? Because you're not a child of disobedience. You're a child of God. You're a child of the light. And you want to be freed from these things. Your flesh is, by nature, but he's given us his Holy Spirit, and we have a new nature. And that new nature wants to be delivered from the old nature because we are not sons of disobedience or daughters 
of disobedience. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. So now he gets even more broad, right? less specific, more generic. Put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice. Boy, malice is broad, isn't it? The maliciousness of our hearts and all of the various ways. Blasphemy. Spoken or lived out. Filthy language out of your mouth, which would encompass anger, wrath, malice, and blasphemy. You know, whatever filthy thing would come out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian. Now, that is not a racist-type statement. Uh, the, it was a common statement about foreign language. Uh, those that spoke languages uh, mostly outside the Jewish context, uh, they, they uh, thought that it just made a uh, sound. And they they would say mockingly of you know a person who didn't speak their language or you know he was like bar 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 you know they 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 would just make that noise and and from that they created the word barbarian bar bar barbarian and and so uh, you know it, it's just to describe foreigner and he's saying you know the Scythian the slave nor free the the employee or you know, the business owner, but Christ is all in all. There, there isn't any separation. If you're a believer, we are all one. There's not foreigner. There's not American. There's not, uh, you know, uh, uh, educated, uneducated, uh, you know, uh, criminal uh, judge. There's no, We're all in Christ. We, we are all one and the same. It's an amazing thing to me to see in the church when it's functioning properly all of those various people. They just you got lawyers and judges hanging out with uh, criminals and bikers and you know just doctors and you know uh, you know dropouts and burnouts and just everybody just loves Jesus. I, I love seeing that when the body of Christ is just all together and. And there's no intimidation, and nobody nobody has that sense of trying to be something for someone else. It's just the freedom and the grace and the love uh, that is warm and accepting. You know, I uh, I was in Maryland years ago at a pastors' conference, and Chuck Missler was there, and and he's uh, you know with the Lord now, but my goodness, uh, you know, he was explaining some things to. Uh, a few people at a table where I was sitting and uh, you know, he must, he must've seen the confusion on my face because he, he then like dumbed down his explanation of physics, like tremendously and re-explained what was going on. And I was like, Oh, Oh, now I understand. You know, he, he was very willing to sit there with us simpletons and just have a, a really warm, loving conversation about the things of the Lord. You know, th this is a guy who's, you know, worked on projects for the United States government that, 
he was never allowed to talk about. <laughs> Just genius guy who incredible. There's there isn't any you know class or distinctions within the body of Christ. We we are all one in creation. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercy. So get rid of the anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, and put on the tender mercy, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Must do. Not optional. Don't get to choose whether you want to. You must do this. Right? Jesus said, if you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. It's, it's, it's a mandate. Why? Because that's the character of our Father. And if we're children of God, then that has to be our character. That we are gracious and forgiving, ready to forgive. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love. And that's that unconditional love. Which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your heart. To which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And always, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And always, a boy, a lot of the church today is word impoverished. Need to dwell in it richly, in abundance, abounding in the word. It's astonishing to me how many times in my Christian walk I've been having conversations about doctrinal issues, and I'll just say something from the scripture and from pastors and other ministers, they'll fire back with, where do you get that? Straight out of the word of God, brother. I'm just telling you what Christ said to us. And then they're all shamefaced because they don't know why. Because they're impoverished. You know, you have a name as though you were rich, but you are, right? Impoverished. He, t he tells the churches. We need to be very cautious. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. So you got to have that chief motivation in your heart and, and sing to the Lord in that way. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Unfortunately, there are a few subjects and then the closing uh, departures that we're not going to have time to cover because there are some pretty weighty statements in especially the next three, four verses. So we'll save those uh, for next week. But this idea, you guys, of shedding the old, corrupt, sinful way and putting on, right, we've heard that a few times from Paul now, about clothing ourselves in the different aspects of what is ultimately Christ, putting off the flesh, putting off the old man, clothing ourselves in Christ and the conduct thereof. And then this, this statement here of how we deal with one another, such grace. Just think of it that way. God's love pouring into your life, tremendous grace. I, I'm really cynical. I'm really cynical, and I have to combat that all the time. I just was... I was an evil person before I 
surrender my life to Christ, and it makes me very cautious and wary, and then I've been around a lot of really bad situations, and so I tend to view things through that critical lens. And, you know, my gracious wife will say, why do you view things like that? Why do you look at things that way? I would start in with my explanation of, well, the world is evil and people, and you got to pay attention and you can't be naive. And you just, and she's basically saying, yeah, but it's no fun. It's, you know, it's just, it's a downer. And, uh, you know, much more significant than that, you know, it doesn't come from a place that is the love of Christ. You know, we do have to be cautious, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. You know, you, you got to pay attention. You got to look around. You know, and if you haven't noticed, the world is getting more and more evil with every passing moment. But, you know, what that world needs to see is the gracious love of Jesus Christ pouring out of our lives. Big smile. You know, I think that's actually the greatest conspiracy behind the mask. They can't see you smiling, right? You know, I'm kidding, but. I, I have smiled at many people recently, and they have a cautionary sort of glare. And I think, what is their problem? And then I realize, they can't see my smile. They can't see that I'm trying to radiate some kind of love and grace and happiness into their life. It's a terrible thing that's going on all around us. Not, not, not the mass. It's just a terrible thing that's going all on all around us, and the corruption, and the rot, and the hate, and the, you know, the sinfulness. We can be salt and light. We can be beauty. We can be the gracious love of Christ in the world around us. So make the effort. Reach out. Love a sick and dying world. Amen. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the richness of your word. And we ask that you would help us to be men and women who dwell richly in your word. And that that would affect the world around us. Help us to help the world. To reflect you. To take your character to the people who need it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.